Hello and welcome to Lawyerish, a podcast for the people. Lawyerish is a safe place to learn, grow, inspire, and be inspired. So come along and ride on this fantastic voyage. Come, let us go be great together. I'm Brandon J. Wallace Esquire, and I'll be your captain. It's a whole vibe, and I sure am glad you're here. This podcast is brought to us by Apex, where aptitude meets excellence. Our Voyage Vibe is brought to us today by the late, great Whitney Houston. It's I Want to Dance with Somebody off her 1987 album, Whitney. It's all right to vibe a little bit. Settle in. Let's get to it. But duly noted. In duly noted today, I want to honor the life of 20-year-old Dante Wright of Minnesota. He was a young man who was killed by former police officer Kim Potter when she somehow grabbed her gun instead of her taser and shot Dante in the chest. Potter was convicted in December of first-degree manslaughter and has just now been sentenced to two years in prison. And you know just as well as I do that people get more uh, time in prison for selling weed or committing fraud. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't advocate the maximum sentence here for Ms. Potter, uh, which is 12 years in Minnesota, uh, because this was obviously an accident, um, a silly, inexplicable accident, nonetheless an accident. Um, however, a life was taken here, and someone has got to be held accountable, and I don't think two years does it. It's, it just doesn't add up. It's a bit suspicious for me. I can't help... But think of uh, Muhammad Noir, a Somali-American in- immigrant, also out of Minnesota, and also a former police officer. He shot and killed Justine DeMond, an Australian-American woman who called police to report a possible sexual assault happening in her alley. Uh, the former officer, Noir, shot and killed her because he mistakenly thought she was a threat. How? I don't know. She didn't have a weapon. No reports of her aggressing him or anything like that, so it didn't really make sense, but um, that's what he said. And it was in the line of duty, and um, he was charged uh, with several different crimes, including manslaughter, but also including third-degree murder, and was sentenced to 12 years in prison for his mistake. Mr. Noor's pleas for leniency and, and were, were ignored, while Miss Potter's were clearly honored. And while the cases certainly are distinguishable, they're not the same and can't be judged the same, it seems to me to be another, yet another example of how broken our justice system remains today. Meanwhile, Mr. Wright's son, his two-year-old son, is left without a dad, his mother is left without a son, and his entire family is left to grieve, while his killer won't even serve two years for her violent crime. It's a damn shame, if you ask me. What do you think? You know how to reach us. It's lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. Love to hear from you. Stick around. We'll lighten things up a bit with lawyerish. Welcome back, friends. It is time for our lawyer segment. Today we have my good friend. I'm so excited to welcome him. His name is David W. Brown. He's a real estate lawyer who focuses on his practice on acquisitions, dispositions, recapitalizations, and mortgage financing. David, my brother, welcome uh, to Lawyerish. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me, Brendan. I appreciate it. So, friends, David represents commercial investors, developers, lenders, and property owners in a broad range of complex real estate matters across the United States. Uh, Before starting his legal career, David was a teacher and an award-winning broadcast journalist in Jamaica. Um, He is uh, a, a law student at the George Washington University Law School. He interned at the D.C. Rental Housing Commission. He received White House recognition for his pro bono work. This guy is a real powerhouse. He's a he's a super lawyer here or a super lawyer in the making. I don't know which one, uh, but we're glad to have him either way. Uh, just a little bit more about him. He was the executive managing editor of the American Intellectual Property Law Association Quarterly Journal, which is a huge deal. And before joining his current job at Goulston and Stores, David worked as a real estate attorney at Arnold and Porter. 
which is an American Law 100 firm. He's also currently, if that wasn't enough, he's currently a PhD student at Vanderbilt University. Uh, thanks again for being here. I know your time is valuable, so we're really glad to have you. Appreciate it. Um, so let's jump right into it. I mean, you already got a law degree. You've got plenty of other degrees. You are also currently a PhD student. Uh, what are you studying and why? What's what's the deal with that? All right. So it's 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 a, a, a doctorate in education, uh, EDD at, at Vanderbilt. It's a, a really rigorous program and I absolutely love it. So first off, I've always wanted to have my doctorate. <laughs> I actually considered uh, doing that before going to law school, but folks pushed me to, to go to law school. No regrets here. So my focus there is on leadership and learning uh, within organizations. And my particular area of emphasis is the is law firm leadership. How can we improve that space, uh, particularly for uh, diverse individuals? You know, So I, I want to make sure that I am a more informed person for when I get that opportunity to possibly one day lead a law firm or, or, or whatever leadership roles I'm in to ensure that I'm making appropriate policy um, and, and ensuring that it will be down to the benefit of, of everyone. But I want to look at some of the issues that are affecting um, uh, diverse individuals within within this industry and, and how we can make that space better. So um, ensuring that there is a, a strong pipeline for young diverse attorneys to, to, to you know, eventually become partners and, and to run these firms as well. But the program, um, you know, it, it's not just for people who are in education or people who um, are at law firms. The, the skills that I'm learning are transferable to any organization. Uh, and so I think it's it's invaluable. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to completeting that uh, next year because yes. I can have a life. Yes. <laughs> Kudos to you on that. Thank and you. Vanderbilt is a great university in the great state of Tennessee, uh, my home state. Oh, so yes, yes, yes. Glad to have you uh, representing uh, the great state of Tennessee. Uh, so too. listen, what is it saying? DC is great, too. Yes, it is. Where we we love DC. Yes. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into it, right? You are a transactional lawyer. You really deal, though, in uh, litig I'm sorry, not litigation, in real estate, right? Complex real estate uh, transactions. So you're a commercial real estate lawyer. Can you tell us what that is? What, what is that? What, what do you do? Right? Sure, like, sure thing. Sure thing. An emphasis on the commercial, because I think a lot of times when people hear uh, real estate law, they think about, you know, purchasing a single family home or something. Uh, but at the firm, we represent, you know, major developers. We represent lenders, uh, uh, borrowers, uh, people who are selling property as well. But these are, of course, large properties, usually valued. Uh, you know, within millions of dollars. Uh, so, so within my practice, I tend to represent a, a lot of developers all across the country, as you mentioned, in, in, in complex deals. Um, so, if they're purchasing in property, then we help to guide them through the process. And in doing so, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of developers, don't just have cash sitting around to to, to purchase a new building or, or or a few parcels of land in Massachusetts or wherever. So these deals. Um, inevitably include uh, financing um, as well. So within any given deal, we're working with banks, we're working with sellers, we're working with borrowers, all that stuff. And I think what's fascinating about my work, uh, because I'm not a litigator, I'm not just limited to, to working within a particular jurisdiction, like representing folks in DC or, you know, federal court, um, but run the, it runs the gamut. Uh, projects all over the country, um, California, Illinois, New York, charter schools in New York. I think I, I, I mentioned to you at one point that I uh, one of my most noteworthy projects was um, a high school in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And that was yeah. some years ago during my, my, my formative uh, years as a, a young attorney. Uh, so that, that was great. So that's pretty much what I do. Um, you, you mentioned disposition. So representing sellers, representing borrowers. Um, if, if, if a developer, if, a, if a, an owner wants to recapitalize as well, we do a lot of that type of work, 1031 exchanges, everything. And prior to my focus on, on acquisitions and dispositions, I did do uh, um, a lot of tax credit work across the United States uh, with a particular focus on new markets tax credits. And what I, what I really liked about that was 
even though we were representing the banks, the banks definitely benefited from the structures that we helped to put in place so that they could save on, on, on taxes. But the intermediaries benefited as well because the community development entities, because they're the ones, you know, that got the, the tax credit allocations from the federal government, but also the nonprofits um, that were attracting these funds from from the banks. They're benefiting as well because, you know, they're they're building um, 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 entities or setting up organizations that ordinarily would not get, you know, the, the funds from from your traditional banks. Even though the, we are dealing with traditional banks, but it's a different type of program. The interest rates here are a little lower as well. So I, I, I like that. What I like about the, the tax credit space is that everybody wins. Um, the banks, the borrowers, the intermediaries, it's a win-win. And I've seen some beautiful projects develop from, from, from these relationships. Yeah, that's got to be probably one of the most exciting things about your work, right? You get to see uh, sort of from start to finish uh, a, a project go from ground up in many times, right? You see the, the purchase of the land or the purchase of the property, and then you see you get to see the, the end product, or the big, new, shiny building. And that for me is is awesome. I mean, sometimes yeah. I'm walking around D.C. and or, or driving around, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I worked on that on that building. Uh, yeah. I, I worked on. I think in 2020, um, I, I worked on one of the largest, if not the largest, um, real estate transaction uh, that happened in the city that year. I live two blocks away from it, so I see it all the time. And every time I walk by it, I'm just like, I, I worked on this. It's 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 amazing. So so you're absolutely right. Um, but I will admit, a lot of my projects are outside of DC. Okay. All right. So you, uh, yeah, you're, and then you're on the ground sort of a lot on, on that because you, you travel quite a bit. From the <laughs> it's funny. I was just um, uh, talking to a friend yesterday and I was like, wait, for the past eight months, I've been traveling every month <laughs> uh, to, to, to different places. I will say not a lot of it is for work. I do try to get out of DC <laughs> sometimes. And uh, I went back to Jamaica. I went to Jamaica three times last year which is a lot. I think I need to go somewhere else, but I, I try to <laughs> okay. gotta go, gotta go see the people. Wagwan, Jamaica. <laughs> Wagwan, Jamaica. That reminds me of when our president Obama went to Jamaica in 2015 and, you know, he was speaking to a group of university students and he opened up with Wagwan Massive, you know. And yeah, I will was, not forget that. Crowd, that was a beautiful moment. The crowd, really you know, was great. The crowd yeah. It was a great moment. The most. Oh, and family. Yeah, to give absolutely. my mom is this. Say it again. I want to make sure we capture that. Now, part. I was so saying I, I miss the food the most about Jamaica, and then I mentioned my family, uh, just in case my mom is listening. Absolutely. <laughs> Hi, mama. <laughs> um, so listen, why don't you tell us, how did you get into the field of law? How did you start your law journey? Well, well, to be honest with you, Brandon, I, 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 I wanted to be a teacher. Um, mm. I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, so I, I completed undergrad in... I give away my age. In 2011, <laughs> I, I completed undergrad in 2011, and I, I went back to Jamaica. And I was I was teaching uh, for a little bit uh, for like one semester, and then you know. And where did you go to undergrad? So I went to St. Thomas University in Miami. Okay. Um, okay, Miami. But, uh, yeah, and but uh, you know, I, I I went back. I was a journalist there. I was a teacher, and then I ended up being the communications um, guy for the then Ministry of Transport, Works, and Housing. And, uh, you know, just being around all these real estate experts at the, the housing ministry kind of like pushed me to to explore the idea of, of, of going to law school um, to do this thing. But but even when I was applying to law school, I was still set on being a litigator. I wanted to, to, to be a juvenile defense attorney or just 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 advocate for juven, uh, juveniles. Uh, I wanted to, to go after uh, fathers who weren't taking care of their children. Um, and then I got to GW and, you know, I, uh, I was in property law class. You know, I think that's one of the courses that we all take in our first yeah, semester sure. or first year of law school. And I absolutely loved it. Um, so then I started taking more real estate classes as well. And I interned at the DC Rental Housing Commission. And so, you know, uh, law firms are looking at my resume and they they were seeing real estate. <laughs> That's all they were seeing. And, and so I was a summer associate at my first firm, um, wanted to go in doing real estate as well. And uh, but but as a summer associate, that's your opportunity to 
to venture out and to be as open as possible and to take on projects from different practice groups to see where you best fit. And it's also an opportunity for the firm to, to make that assessment as well. And uh, so while I was there, this was at Nixon Peabody, my, my very first law firm. Um, I, I was introduced to the practice group leader for the, the tax credit group, which is now the community development finance group, Greg Doran. And uh, so, yeah, the rest is history. He said, let me give you some work um, as a summer associate. And so once I graduated law school and I went to go work for them full time, that was the practice group um, that I was put in. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, um, worked on some amazing projects. And Greg really helped me to hone my my legal skills. So I definitely give him a lot of credit to this day. Yeah. Do you think that has a lot to do with where you went to law school, right? Does it, does, does that sort of opportunity, um, I mean, is that, I, I wonder what role that the law school you choose uh, plays in, in sort of your, your post law school career. And that is, you know, that, that goes back to why I'm doing, um, my doctorate degree, because I, I I'm, I've been examining, looking into a lot of these issues as well. Yes, law firms tend to focus on certain schools. And I think we need to move away from that. You know, it can't just be the Georgetowns, the Harvards, the GWs and stuff. Um, so my loss, you know, going to GW definitely helped because the, the firms go after you. You know, I knew where I was going to, to, to work as a lawyer two years before I graduated law school. That's because they seek you out. They, they, we have what's called on-campus interviews. Um, and, you know, like a, a bunch of firms like flock the, the, the university campuses. Well, they do it, do the interviews at hotels. Um, and they want students from, from certain law schools. Um, but there are talented people uh, from all over the place. So, you know, as, 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 a, as a black attorney now at my firm, I am pushing my firm to look at candidates from other schools as well. And the firm has been super open to doing that. Uh, you know, they, they, they listen to me. If I suggest someone, you know, they'll, they'll give that person an interview that, that happened recently as well. Um, so yes, uh, having gone to, to GW helped, uh, yeah. a lot of the, I don't know if half the people in, in, in the DC office of my firm went to GW. Um, yeah. and of course I, <laughs> I'm at a Boston based firm. So a lot of, um, uh, attorneys there went to, to, to that school in Cambridge. Harvard. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it, def- it definitely helped, but I have no regrets. GW was expensive, but yeah. I have no regrets. Um, yeah. We talked about that a little bit with last week with my guest, uh, Simone Stone okay. and, you know, so her counsel was, you know, go with, uh, the one we talked about, we sort of came to a conclusion together, right? It's it's consider the, the field that you want to be in, like if you know what kind of law you want to practice, plus the the sort of alumni networks, plus the, the cost, right? Yep. To consider all of that and, and then make your decision. And so that we, we came up with that. And that for me makes sense um, because, you know, you go to a particular law school, you're going to come out, you know, owing a lot of money in student loans. Yeah. But if you go to a particular law school, then end up at a particular firm, you know, I guess it's an investment because you can pay your student loans on a, on a monthly basis. But if you're interested in perhaps like the nonprofit space or working for government, by, by the way, I am in no way saying that if you want to work for government or be a nonprofit that you shouldn't go to, to certain schools. These are just things to take into, into consideration. And um these are discussions that I have with people all the time who are interested in going to law school. Yeah, um, me too. They, they must hear these things uh, because yeah. when you leave law school, you come out with a, a hefty price tag. Um, so that it, it's something not to ignore. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the reason for this podcast, David, is because I just I get asked like you that those sorts of questions. And I just thought it was so it would be valuable to to have a platform where we can discuss that sort of thing. And people can get it right. Part of our audience is people who are interested in going to law school or who are maybe in law school uh, or just have a thing for for the law, for lawyers. Uh, And so this is just kind of uh, I think what you've added is is very valuable on that front because people do need to know. Yeah, um, I agree. 
I agree. And I think, I think another um, thing too that, that shouldn't be hidden is how stressful law school can, can, can become. It was fun for me. I, I wasn't too stressed out by, cause I avoided the stress crowds, um, the, the group study. And, you know, I, I, I that's not me. I, not your cup of tea. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. I, I was good. I, I was able to go to a club the night before an exam. I'm not stressing. If I feel prepared, I'm prepared. Well, just, but that just goes to show how smart you are. You're like a baby genius. You know that. <laughs> if, if you know it, you know it. And like, I mean, what do you call it? Like, they're they're diminishing returns. After a while, you just gotta close the book. Um, but but it, it can be stressful. And I wish I wish law schools um, would prepare students a little more for that um, because I remember just like. Day one, you know, one of the assistant deans saying, you got to get off Facebook. You got to do because, you know, your first year is the most important year. And, and I was just like, whoa, 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 you know. Um, so I, I remember prior to that, you know, they there were certain programs that I participated in, like pro bono programs and and um, law preview. I went to Catholic University Law School for for some time to to sit in classes, you know, law school classes, they were preparing you for what you're going to um, experience as a law student. But there wasn't a whole lot of discussions on on preparing for it mentally and emotionally. And I think that's something that we need to explore more. Yeah, agreed. Um, that's why we're going to have a wellness check right after this. So that's good. <laughs> we're just part of what we're doing here. You're spot on. So I appreciate that. Now we're running out of time. So I got to get to the my two major questions I want to make sure I ask you. Uh, the first one is I want to share with you. I want you to share with us maybe your best or your worst experience. Some like big highlight or some low point that taught you something that uh, that uh, others can learn from your choice about it, which one but uh, that's what we're looking for um so i i think just real quickly I, i've learned because i've made mistakes you know especially as yeah. a young attorney you know putting an extra zero can be very costly <laughs> so yeah <laughs> <laughs> when you're drafting documents be super meticulous but i think a major high point for me occurred just a few months ago uh november 2021, uh, you know, I was one of the three main attorneys on a huge acquisition, um, a multi-billion dollar deal. And it was one of my proudest moments uh, representing that client in, in, in helping to close uh, uh, the, the biggest deal that I've ever worked on. I, perhaps it will be the biggest that I, I'll work on. So that that was great. That was that was awesome. Um, so that was my high point. Um, so, yeah. It's in the interest of time, I'm just <laughs> keep no, I, no. Get, we got to unpack that a little bit. You said a multi-billion-dollar deal. How much? What did that check look like? That's what <laughs> the people want to know. <laughs> so, to be clear, the, the the client, you know, purchased you know the properties um, for all, with all that money, um, all cash. But that's not that's not money that we got. That we represented the client in in doing that. I I, I can't put out too much, you know. Uh, but I will just say it was a multi multi billion dollar deal, and it was fascinating. Worked on that for about three or four months. Took up all my time uh, during that period while going to school, um, and it was it was very exciting, a very rewarding deal. Uh, so. Well, I'm hearing dollar signs, so that means it was a lot. Of, <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, uh, what you could of that. Uh, my last and final question, uh, any advice that you have for young lawyers or young law students? And we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I mean, maybe there's something specific that, that you want to share to young lawyers uh, or maybe even uh, your younger self or, or people who are interested in law school. What, what counsel can you give? So I would say for those who are interested in law school, go right for it. I, I delayed a little bit because I was afraid of taking the LSAT. Um, mm. I, I waited three years. I, I went to law school three years after undergrad. I really wanted to go right away, but I was afraid of uh, taking the LSAT and I thought I just wasn't going to do well. Just go for it. Just, just go for it. Give yourself a three month period and just, just push forward with that. Um, I think my general advice to young attorneys, though, uh, is to think about your legacy. I've, I've thought about mine, and I want mine to be one of res responsiveness. You have to be responsive to your clients, and your internal client is the partner whom you work for, 
or the partners, because sometimes it's more than one. So your internal client, as well as your external client, be very responsive. Um, and, and I think for those who are in, in, in law school, get that practice by being responsive with respect to your, your readings and assignments and all that stuff. Just get things out of the way. Um, people appreciate it. People notice it. And it comes up on your evaluation often. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much all I got. Just, just go for it. You know, Nike. So I, I will quickly say, I always say just like Nike, just do it. But it's important to it's important to plan as well. So if you want to go to law school, I, I gave myself a whole year to plan it out. I'm going to take the LSAT during this period. I'm going to study during this period, take the LSAT during this period, apply for financial aid and scholarships during another period and then and then get started. OK, so if you're thinking about going to law school, go for it, but make sure you have a plan in place. And for those uh, who are who are young in the practice, your junior lawyers, be on top of your game, be super responsive. So my advice to those who are interested in law school is while I say just do it, just go for it, meaning don't hesitate, um, you, you must have a plan. Plan out the entire thing. For me, I gave myself a whole year to, to study for the LSAT to then apply to law schools, then to figure out the uh, financial aid situation, scholarships, because law school is not cheap. Yeah. Um, uh, they oftentimes tell you it's an investment. It's, 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 it's relatively expensive. Um, and so give, give yourself that time. Do not rush it because it's a huge decision. And then for those who are junior attorneys, you know, you're, you're in your first or second year, I think it's really important to cater to the needs of your internal client and that's your that's the partner and and to to think of it this way you have an internal client that's the partner you're working with and you have the external client you know that you and the partner are working for um, that individual so be responsive to to the needs of of both and try something something my old boss taught me manage up so if you know the partner is supposed to respond to the client on something and it's taking them a while you send them a reminder like, hey, hey, Brandon, do you, you want me to, to do this or, or whatever? Manage up. Um, if, 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 if opposing counsel sends across some documents that need to be reviewed and marked up and nothing has been done, maybe you take a, the, the first crack at it and then you take it to the, the, the partner to do a page turn. So be very proactive. Be very responsive. Show that you're interested. Um, and eventually you come across as being real competent. <laughs> it 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 takes time it takes time i yeah. remember as a junior attorney i was like super worried uh you know if a, if a partner gave me uh, a document to revise i all i did initially was to just make his or her revisions and that's it without adding my own to it without actually like reviewing the document and trying to make sense of it so it is a process um because i i see where now i am able to to just do that stuff easily um so trust the process be responsive be open ask questions yeah that's good counsel for lawyers non-lawyers alike right that's a, i think that's that's I good counsel. well david i i want to thank you so much for taking the time i know how busy you are um and so for you to take the time to chat with us I'm so greatly appreciative. I owe you one or two at this point, <laughs> but I thank you for doing that. I thank you for, for coming on the show and hopefully you'll come back. You're going to be planning to do round tables uh, every season. And so maybe that's something you might be interested in, um, or maybe you want to come back and chat with us about one of your new projects or something. <laughs> the door is always open. We'd be glad to have you and chat with you and learn from you again. I appreciate the invite, Brandon. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Take care. Uh, we'll be right back with our wellness check. We're right back at it, and it's time for our wellness check. This week, I want to remind you to switch that ish up. <laughs> All too often, we tend to get in this monotonous space uh, in our day-to-day task, in the day-to-day task of life. We get out of bed, we bathe, we eat, and we're off to work uh, just to do it all over again the next day. This easily becomes our everyday pattern, um, and if we're not careful, these everyday patterns can lull us right into depression, into burnout, uh, into being bored, and just being unhappy with life. And so this week, 
for our wellness check, I want to remind you to switch that ish up. Uh, take a new route to work, uh, work from a different remote space or uh, in your house or at a friend's house. Uh, visit a new gym or a new place of worship. Uh, go to a different park or try a new cocktail. Uh, don't be afraid to get out of the box that you put yourself in or others have put you in. Uh, sometimes the key to growth is getting out of your comfort zone. Uh, I'm living, I'm a living, breathing example of that right now. I'm recording from Atlanta. I just had to get out of D.C. I mean, of course, I had to actually work this week, but it's been refreshing to breathe new air, to record in a different space, uh, just to do something different, to switch that issue up. And I got to tell you, it's been enlightening and invigorating for me. And I promise you, if you try it, uh, you might be surprised that it will do the same for you. Well, that's your wellness check this week. I challenge you to switch that ish up. Let us know how that goes for you. Email us at lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. Again, that's lawyerish at apexgroupdc.com. Of course, you can always use the hashtag wellness and, and at apexgroupdc. Also, my personal Instagram. Hit me up at, at bwallyesq. Love to hear from you. Let us know how you're switching that ish up for your life. That's been your wellness check. We'll be right back. Friends, we are back and it's time for our Apex Highlight. I am super, super excited to welcome my friend, my brother, my former boss, um, <laughs> DJ Johnson, a.k.a. Slashby. Uh, Slashby, welcome to Lawyer. So glad to have you. Man, thank you. Thank you, Viwali. I'm very, very, very happy to be on here. Good man. So, uh, friends, DJ is uh, born in, was born in Monrovia, Liberia. He's a songwriter, talent manager, and executive producer. He started his musical journey very young, uh, and as a Howard University alum, began songwriting and management career. Began his management career uh, working with the Brooklyn artist and Howard, also Howard alum. DeAndre Blaze. He later worked with artists assigned to Rock Nation uh, Management. And today, Slashby with his company Motley Management uh, has some great up and coming artists uh, releasing albums, uh, names like Chiquette, Lonnie Christ, Juice, Ahmed Cosme, uh, and many, many more DC great ri rising artists uh, in the area, all set to create new hits in the industry. Again, uh, Mr. CEO of Motley <laughs> Management, thank you for being here. We're really, really glad to have you, man. I, I can't tell you how much this means thank to me. You, thank you, Wiley. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy uh, to be here. Yeah, so look, we, like I said, you used to be my boss, right? You got <laughs> me involved in, in this uh, management, right? Mm -hmm. This uh, artist management uh, sort of business. We were working with uh, DeAndre Blaze. Yeah. And, had that album out, uh, The right. Breakfast, which was yeah. like the one of the hottest albums of the summer of the yeah. year. Like that, we that that album was being played out of dorm windows and yeah. cars and all around DC uh, and other areas. What a great album! Yeah. Uh, what was that one song? Right, that was the one sort of single. It was oh, um, um, uh, on. It was a uh, super fresh was on there. Um, super fresh was dope. Um, what else was on there? Uh, girl, gotcha. I know you. Oh, Astronaut Love was on there. <laughs> oh uh, <my> <laughs> We've we got to have this album again, man. we we got to have this back. Yes, yes. We need this yes. back. Oh, the Guapums freestyle? Guapums? Yeah, I mean, they were really, that was yeah. really a really hot album. A lot of collaborate uh, collaborations on that album yeah. as well, like the beats, the yeah. other artists. I mean, it just was a... It was a, a powerful album. It was a, I think that was a year of really great music at Howard yeah. University in in DC area uh, as well. And you were you were a big part of that. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Blaze was amazing to work with. Um, so you know, now as a writer, I always have to remember like when I met Blaze, I was really about bars. I had just came from winning like mm -hmm. a freestyle competition in Philadelphia right before I met him, and uh, Blaze actually taught me how to write hooks. If, it, if I had mm. not met him, I was so focused on verses and I didn't really have a good idea on how to write hooks well. And he was, he just, he showed me an easy way that just kind of blossomed my brain into writing songs. And I got to give him a lot of credit. Had I not met him, I don't think I would have focused so hard on being a songwriter at all. You know, maybe I would only do management. Um, but 
but yeah, he showed me how to write hooks. And then we went on open for Fort Minor and Lincoln Park and Trick Daddy and Busta Rhymes and Joel Santana, Monica. Like, yeah, yeah. we had we, yeah, had we were really moving. We were rocking and rolling. We met we with Interscope, uh, flew out to L.A. We yeah, I mean, to, we were really we went out to L.A. We to were really knee deep into this uh, into yeah. this thing, right? For for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well. Tell us about tell us about Molly Management. Why don't we just take a step back? I got excited. Yeah. Sorry. What, what are you going <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back? What? Tell us about Motley Management. What you what do you do? Uh, you know, unpack that for us. Unpack, unpack yeah. Motley Management. So uh, Motley, the idea of Motley started in high school. Uh, group of us were all different races, but we all hung out. We all were involved in different things in school: music, band, tech, sports. Um, but yet, for whatever reason, at this all white school, this clique of motley guys hung out. It's and so when I went up. to when I went to college and I had the opportunity to meet you and meet Blaze, and we were all just so like interwoven because of our our fraternity, our brotherhood, we started to um, I started to think to myself like, hey, what should I name this? And us too, we were all very different. You know, you coming from Memphis, yeah. Blaze from Brooklyn, me. You know, born in Liberia, coming to the States and, and growing up in Jersey, we had a whole different uh, mindset for everything. So I said, hey, let's run it back. Let's do Motley again. You know, and I think that that's yeah. where it really got its legs. And now now Motley is like really diverse. You know, now we have artists. We are working with soap brands. We are working with throwing shows in the area. Um uh, for these artists and we're even starting to get into fitness as well one of my clients uh, sincerely chemo we just developed and came up with an app for her this year um and that's been successful right so yeah. i think a lot of people don't realize how everything is tied in the whole world is connected the whole world is connected so if you think about life more connected you think to yourself hey when i work out what do i do i listen to music yeah, you do. So like those two things are connected. You know, when you think of to yourself like, hey, I want to go to a great show. I want to have an intimate experience. I want to be around community. We create we have created such a diverse group of clients that it causes a diverse group of community. Thus, everyone is constantly welcoming people because they themselves want to be welcomed. It's not yeah. as if, you know, you assume that you belong here. No, everyone assumes that they belong and that their job is to welcome, you know, each other here. Um, more than this is my set. This is what we do here. Maybe you fit in. No, it's 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 more the inclusive way and not the exclusive way type of mentality. You know what I mean? Message. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, let me let me ask you something. What, so, Kobe, uh, what is it that you actually do, right? What does it right. mean to be an artist manager, right? What I mean, we see it sometimes on TV. If you look at Entourage, right, you may have seen some of that. But what is what does it do? What does it mean to be uh, a manager? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first thing is to, to recognize what the artist needs, right? Not every artist needs the same thing. Not every artist wants the same thing. So to be able to understand their goal and to be able to pace themselves, like a lot of times we, we are looking at ourselves and we're thinking, oh, I'm not moving fast enough. I'm not doing this fast enough. You know, a manager's job is to, to remind you that, hey, a baseball game lasts four hours, but there's only 19 minutes of actual play. Like the players are standing around in the outfield, balls, strikes, you know, waiting for guys to come up. There's only 19 minutes of play. So it's like, how do you make your effort most efficient in this 19 minutes of play in your quote unquote, 15 minutes of fame in your whatever time you have on the stage in your whatever engagement you have with your audience on social media platforms? How do you do that? All right. And that's what I shape. I help the artists shape that. Now, if I come to a point and the artist says, hey, man, I don't know how to really promote this, right? We create ads and we push ads onto um, streaming platforms that help people get uh, more views, more listens, right? So that way you can help cultivate your audience. And of course, you know, the basics where if you need help writing the song, you need help meeting producers, we bridge those relationships there. And of course, you know, with your help and Kizzy's help, we're able to have legal help too, legal guidance to look over contracts, right? And so that's another thing. But I think bigger than all that is to have someone who's trustworthy, right? Mm. To have someone who's trustworthy is key. I think I was telling you, any manager can, anybody can do, be a great manager if you're trustworthy. Because you're going to report back what you found. 
right? And you're going to be honest about that. And you're going to be honest about your effort. And that's probably number one. Motley feels like a family. We argue like a family. We talk all day like a family. We help each other, support each other like a family. But the trust is always there, you know? And so everybody who I work with, people who are part of the team, they know that they're getting, anytime they talk to me, anytime we work together on something, they're getting honesty. They're getting um, a whole all-encompassing one-stop shop from beginning to end. And we're going to hit this goal. Yeah, you know, you've got, there's a sort of a, the word that came to mind is integrity, right? right. Uh, if you, if you've got integrity, right, things will fall into place for you. If you just do the right thing, may not always feel good, may not, may not look good, but integrity, right, is right. the, is the path to, uh, to success in, in, in many, uh, in many veins, if not all of them, right? right. I mean, except for, for except <laughs> for the criminal side, right? <laughs> You don't gotta, you don't gotta have that. Much you don't have to have integrity there, but right, right. Um, so you know what I'm hearing though is a is a is an artist manager. You, you're really an advocate, right? You're advocating for your clients, helping to meet the needs, whatever the needs may be. Right. Um, and, and and so in in that vein, you're really sort of helping to get to that to get them to where they want to be, how they wherever they see success, right? If Correct. they want albums, they want clicks, they want views, your job is to sort of uh, help fill the gaps to make sure that they get there. Right. My, and, is that right? Yep, yeah, definitely, definitely. And like I said, for everybody is different, right? You will have yeah. you will have a lot of artists that are very, very self-sustained, like uh, Chiquette, Lonnie, Ahmed, they're very, very self, they can, they can do a lot on their own, right? Where as far as the creation pro- process, they can do a lot on their own especially like, I mean, you guys will get hip to Lonnie more and more during the year, but his work ethic is incredible. He makes songs every other day, you know, so it's not really so much about creation there, but it's about timing. It's about placement, understanding if we're going to go for this song for license sync, who's going to reach out to, to negotiate good deals. And he's had the opportunity to produce for some dope artists, uh, black, you know, who's with LVRN and summer Walker, uh, he's also had the opportunity to work with uh, Ye Ali, who writes for Chris Brown. Um, he's also had the opportunity to do some work in uh, Toronto with Murder Beats. So he's had the opportunity to really, really work well with a lot of people because of his 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 uh, work ethic, right? So for some people, it's not about that. But then you have other artists where it's like, hey, I'm not really sure about the writing process or what I want to say. How do I get my message out? And I think that then I turn around and have deep conversations. Like, what is it to you that's important? What makes you feel something? What are some things that you've gone through? And to talk about it, not every artist has the ability to like write, right? Like I'm talking about Che and Lonnie and I met very self-contained. They don't, not every artist is exactly like that. But then you have other artists where they know exactly what they want to say. They know how they want to deliver it, but they don't know how to make the lyrics for it. I'll come in and I'll write songs with them and help them sculpt it out from that end, right? So that way they don't feel alone. And introduce them to other songwriters and producers too who also mm-hmm. help diversify that, right? Because I never want to get to a point where it's just me and that person. I want them to see the whole family tree of Motley. So Motley has really become this on the music scope so all-encompassing. And then back to what I was saying of just about diversity, this goes back into us having... Uh, now new partners who do like fitness and beauty and brand management, which also helps move the music as well too. So what's your inspiration here? Like, how do you, how do you stay motivated to, to do all of this, all the running a company, you're sort of doing this artist management, you're writing songs, you got your hands in a lot of different things. What's your inspiration behind all that? What's, what's your, what drives you? You know, I, 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 it's hard to say that one thing does it. I think every day I'm inspired, right? Like yeah. every day I'm inspired. Sometimes I'll just look out the window and I'll just see a big landscape and I'll be like, wow, I want to make a song that's that big. That'll fill <laughs> that space, you know? Like yeah. I want to imagine a whole sea of people there rocking out to that song and it'll take me somewhere. I'll get home, I'll start writing something. So I could be as easily influenced, you know, just by us. Open, open field, right? But then also at the same time, I know one thing that always keeps me motivated is the thought of buying an island, you know, like I love that. <laughs> the thought of buying an island is one of the biggest motivations in my life. And it's mostly because 
right now we're getting to a point now in society where like everyone wants to be heard but nobody wants to listen mm-hmm. you know and i think that when you get a chance to own land and to get a chance to own land where you can be by yourself you can be more and more inviting to people who are really ready to listen you can rebuild your family this is the idea of buying an island is also the same thing as when you see people buying communities or buying small houses next to each other or they'll buy a plot of land to put a compound there it's because we're getting to a point now where we know we know our people we know our family we know the people who we want to be around let's start being around them let's start empowering each other let's start talking to each other about you know um generational wealth yeah some people think it sounds corny to even say that now but no let's talk about it let's talk about that we are the new foundation for the next generation we have to do what we wanted everyone else to do so sometimes i imagine having those conversations and i own this island and we can all really do this and sit here and be self-sustained fish in the water and good land and so those two thoughts those two thoughts definitely definitely keep me motivated the uh, so tell us about let's unpack some of your experience right I'd like yeah. to know about some of your you know one of your best or maybe worst experiences like I don't know I, I always ask this question I always like to to draw from the experience of, of our guests and so yeah. what can you share with us about sort of your your high point high moment or maybe your low moment that you yeah. had to learn from and pick yourself up off of the ground for what what do you got for us on that front. So, so I got one where they both ran into each other. So okay. <laughs> my high point and my low Love point <laughs> both ran into each other. So uh, I got the opportunity to uh, write for a young lady named Shannon Rivera, and she was uh, assigned to Rock Nation Management. So me and my team, Laquise, we went down there, Lonnie, Ahmed, Obi, uh, the four of us went down there, and we were working on records. And everything was good. Like, the first, the first night we got there, we cooked up. She was recording. We had a bunch of inside jokes, the engineer, everybody. I think the second night things went well. So we're driving back to the studio. We were at a Cool and Dre studio. Um, they did a bunch of Rick Ross records. I think, you know, anytime you, people know Cool and Dre, but they did a bunch of, of, of Ross records in the 2000s. But um, so we're headed over to their studio and I got a call and they were like, hey, just pull over. Whatever you're doing, just stop what you're doing (laughs) pull over and we were near this mcdonald's we went to a mcdonald's they called me back again they're like hey mariah carey knocked out your session so y'all don't come to the studio (laughs) that's it that's it for you and i literally felt like i was on a i was on a high i was like man this is my first time getting a chance to to write for some of these artists uh on like you know who are on well-developed management or labels i was like man this is dope and then at the same time (laughs) Mariah Carey came through and crushed the building. <laughs> yeah. And not many people get to be bumped by Mariah Carey. So I get that. It's like, I, you know. For sure. Who, For sure. who has that experience, right? So, For sure. so did I, they let you into the studio? Did, were you, did you make it to the studio? Not at all. Not at all. They did not even let us sniff the premises once you. <laughs> She had like some trucks, like, you know, word is that Mariah changes all the light bulbs when she goes into sessions. Like, so like she had a bunch of trucks with like equipment and they did not even let us get close, you know? So, but they did give us the opportunity to work with some other artists. Um, and I think we were able to build the relationship from there, you know, and sure. being able to to turn that around. Other A&Rs have reached out to me about Chiquette um about Lonnie and have talked to me about them as well too so we've been able to build that relationship but you know I think writing with her and being able to go down there I I once again I jumped into a lot of different bags you know a lot of different hats I was wearing a lot of different hats when I when I went down there I went down there of course you know as a manager but also as a writer but then when I got there I had to network I got the owner of the studios got the owner of the studio's number and talked to her about business of the studio and running it and infrastructure and finances you know I let her know I've worked in banking for years you know if you guys are looking to expand or so I know people that can give you guys loans things that were bigger than just us coming to record to the song because that's really really important people don't understand that when you get an opportunity to work with somebody you're not here to just work on that thing you could be there to work on the next thing and if you can give them a, a seed towards the next thing they'll want you around more right they don't once they realize that you can accomplish more than just one goal they'll hire you for the next one 
they'll hire you for the third one, even if they think that you can't do it. They had a success the first two times. They'll give you a shot. So don't just go in there thinking about yourself or whatever. So locked into what, you know, you want to do. Think to yourself, hey, how can I benefit the room? You know, how can I? Yeah. And if you have that in mind, things work out. And, it, and you know, that could have, I think that's such good counsel because that could have turned out, you could have turned that, flipped that the other side. Like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, we, we're we here. We, right. And then they're like, uh, okay, but <laughs> right. Mariah's here. So, right. Right. <laughs> But you took right. that in stride, right? And you were able to be flexible and you right. still found a way to, to like produce and to be, to be present in that moment. And, and because of that, uh, other opportunities opened up and the relationship was formed. And, and, you got a story with those guys, right? Yeah, that you for, were for life. <laughs> yeah, that's for right. Life. And and don't get me wrong, we were sad. When it, when it yeah. happened, we our feelings were hurt. You know what I mean? We're like, Dad, you know, we wanted to come down and have this whole thing, especially since a lot of them, that was the the guys who I've worked with, that was their first time like traveling to do music like that. Well, two of the guys, that was their first time traveling to do music like that on a bigger scale. So I felt like, man, I'd hate I brought you down here. We worked like a night and a half. Ah, that's not going to be the same feeling as like what you expected. But at the same time, that's about the relationship too. They know that, uh, you know, we went down there, we worked and everything was supposed to be how it was supposed to be. And this was just a terrible coincidence. It wasn't on me. It wasn't on them for real. It wasn't on the studio owners. Like, what do you do when Mariah comes? You, you stop. <laughs> you get out of the way. <laughs> you get out of the way. So Mariah, uh, Madam, uh, Queen Mariah, <laughs> uh, if you're out there listening or your team is, uh, please look out for Mr. Slashby and Molly uh-huh. Management. They they That's took it. it in stride. They're, <laughs> they're good folks. <laughs> Let's work on some Christmas records. You know. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, you gotta get me on one of those Christmas no, records, sure. man. That's I can I can say something or something, man. I can I can do something. Something, you know. I can hit a triangle, you know, anything. Symbol, yes. I need to be on one of those. Man, no, I know her checks are crazy around this time. <laughs> Love it. Love to see it. I need to be a part of that. Look, we're we're running out of time here. I've gotta get to my favorite question that I always ask all of my guests. And it is, what advice uh, do you have for other entrepreneurs, other sort of uh, potential managers, other artists, right? Because you've got so many different hats. So right. <laughs> what can you offer uh, as counsel yeah. to to others who are interested in this field or to your younger self, right? I'll let you sort of shape that question how you want, but that's what we, we want to get some – what do you got for the people who are, uh, who are like you or were like you or who – who, who are you right now? And then yeah. you're trying to get to the next level. First thing is complete is better than perfect. We yeah. can't chase this imaginary idea of what is perfect. We cannot just do what you said that you were going to do at the time you were supposed to do it. Just focus on that. Don't worry so much about it being perfect. If you spend so much time about it, worrying about it being perfect, when you put it out and you don't get the immediate feedback, that sometimes that crushes you. When you put it out and you think about all the time you spent working on it for it to end up like this, that crushes you, right? When you think, oh, it looks perfect and someone comes and tells you the flaw, that crushes you. Instead, you think to yourself, I completed it. Tomorrow, I'll work on it some more. The next day, I'll work on it, whatever. But tonight, I'm complete, right? And to move on to the next thing, that'll be the first bit of advice. Second bit of advice I would say to them is that it don't worry about what you bring to the table. That is narcissistic thinking, right? Hmm. You come into a room and you're like, oh, well, I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. You're already losing because if they already have those things, if you walk and say, I can sing, I can songwrite, I can produce records. And they're like, well, we have a producer. We have a singer. We got a songwriter, right? So they, you didn't come in and offer anything new to them. But if you That's came good. through, you noticed they have a songwriter, they have a producer. Okay, but what? who's moving these records once we're done? Hey, how are we promoting these records? Man, I don't really know. And you come in with what's missing on the table. Now you're super valuable. They want you to come back even more. And the day the songwriter's not there, you can be like, hey, by the way, I, I also songwrite. <laughs> oh, so now, now you're invited here more often. And people fail to realize they're so stuck in like, hey, this is what I can do. They don't inv- they don't realize what needs to be done. Yeah. You know? Oh my goodness. They don't see it. <laughs> they don't see it. So I would give those two bits of advice. 
um, and to read the four hour work week. Just that, those three things. Read the four hour work week. It'll change how you work, your efficiency. It'll change what you believe should be your uh, reset for yourself, what you believe to be hard work. Really good book. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a, we've got, that was great. Actually. <laughs> I don't think I can say anything else. Thank you for that. <laughs> DJ slash me, yeah. CEO, Mr. President, founder. Thank you. thank you so much for being on the show really quick. What do you got on the horizon? What can you give us? Uh, this, yeah. What's and how can we find you? Right. So yes. That's that too. So you guys can always follow, uh, find me on Instagram, the great slash B Y. So the great slash B the great, the word slash B Y. Um, you can also check out my artist, LonnieChrist.com, Chiquette.com. Um, we'll be throwing some concerts this year, so you'll have an opportunity to see that. In fact, this Sunday, we're at Pie Shop DC throwing a concert for uh, the band OK, and uh, Sir Sheck is opening up for them as well, and Gold is opening up for them as well. So that'll be this Sunday at Pie Shop. And actually, I'll have a big announcement for my new website uh, for artists and creatives coming out shortly in about two weeks. So. Yep, okay. that's 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 Very good. On the horizon, you want to tell us about this sweatshirt? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, once again, like I said, I'm Liberian. My cousin Atien started a uh, a line years ago called Uncut Dope, and so this is uh, Uncut Dope. Anytime you guys see that, that's them. U N K U T Dope. Uh, they're on Instagram. Really well curated page. Really good, comfortable clothes. And it's actually been like a triad of us. So myself doing music and doing, I guess, entertainment, um, uh, ATN doing fashion. And then my other cousin, Gab, we have a soap line called Hope Soap Love. And uh, he's been doing really, really well with the soap. So we've been, you know, diversifying, being yes. mighty as a, as, as a family as well. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. All right, very good. Well, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. We are over time. I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell your editor I said, good luck, man. <laughs> yes, best wishes to him. Thank you so much, Ed Mad Rabbit, uh, for, for your work on that. But uh, our friends here at Motley Management, uh, DJ Johnson, Slash B, yes. many blessings to you, brother. Wishing you all the best uh, moving forward, and I look forward to having you back soon. Thanks. Thanks. We want to talk to you soon. Thank you. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Peace, guys. It's time now for our motivational moment. As Black History Month comes to a close, I want to talk to the black folks. To our non-melanated friends, it's all right. Feel free to listen in. Uh, this may apply to you, too, but I'm just talking to the people of color today. The black folks. I just want to say that I am so, so proud of you. I'm proud of us. Look at us. Look how far we've come, friends. We are our ancestors' wildest dreams. We're educators and lawyers and doctors and bankers and homeowners, musicians and executives, first responders, pilots, and serving in all the ranks of the military and so, so much more. We are healing trauma, building strong family units, and uh, serving communities and starting businesses, all while influencing world culture, driving entertainment, and demanding justice in a cruel and cold world. Yeah, there's so much more to do, uh, and we're just doing what we're supposed to do, or what we have to do to survive and care for the ones that we love. But today... I want to take a moment just to say thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your representation. We know it matters. I am really grateful and I'm genuinely proud of you. So are our ancestors. <sighs> Breathe in that. Go forth and be great. I'm proud of you. Our ancestors are proud of you. And our future depends on you. So keep doing what you're doing. I love you with the love of the Lord, and this has been your motivational moment. We'll be right back to wrap things up. Well, friends, we've done it again, and just like that, it's a wrap, and we are four episodes down and halfway through our first season. Yes! <laughs> 
Congratulations and thank you. Special thanks to our guest, David W. Brown Esquire, and my good friend Slashby, a.k.a. DJ Johnson, for taking time to chat with us today. Big thanks to our production and our promotion teams, Dash Coordinating Mark and Marketing, Dewan Tolan, Marcel Simmons, and my good man, Pete Jackson and Mad Rabbit. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate all your hard work and effort. Just a heads up, we are taking a break for a couple of weeks, so don't look for a new episode coming on Tuesday. It ain't coming. Uh, my team and I have been working so hard on this podcast, and I want to make sure that we are rested and ready to continue to give you the primo content that you didn't know you needed. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with new episodes starting on March 15th. Remember to like, share, and subscribe like any voyage. It's always a little bit more fun when you can bring a friend or two along. Thanks to the great, incomparable Whitney Houston for our Voyage Vibe today. Until next time, go ahead and dance with somebody. Get your dance on. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Be well, friends. <laughs>